0: It's Unleashed with me, John Lund, from KMBR Radio in San Francisco. Episode 35 for Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. We do this each Tuesday, 49ers. Upon further review, the NFC West, look at the schedule and strength. Who wins this thing at the 49ers by? What the hell's going on in the NFC anyway? And one for the road. We feel you, Tom. Let's go. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. Welcome to... November, November 1st, 2022. It is Unleashed with me, John Lund, KNBR Radio in San Francisco. Thanks for making Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk your first stop for Barrier Sports Talk each weekday morning. We drop this thing around 6 a.m. Listen and subscribe or get your favorite podcast. My day job, as I said, KNBR Radio in San Francisco. KNBR 680, KNBR.com from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, Great guests, fun, all that kind of stuff. Please tune in. And interact with me any old time, 24-7, 365, uh, on Twitter, at John Lund Radio. What you like, what you hate, what we can improve, questions, comments, love feedback on the show. So hit me up, at John Lund Radio, and we'll get the best ones in. Well, welcome to November. It is official trade deadline day in the NFL. I'll pop on, at John Lund Radio, if there's anything significant. Kyle Shanahan did say yesterday, and I don't think he needed to say it, but he did anyway that he felt the 49ers were not going to be active today. Although, I still will say that interior defensive line in Dominican Sioux, and I'll give you an update on that. I talked to a friend of mine today within the NFL, give you an update there. Uh, William Jackson of the Commandos is not happy. He's a corner uh, that could fit, and supposedly you wouldn't have to give up a whole lot to get him because, good, the 49ers don't have a whole lot after still owing Miami a pick for Trey Lance and on a uh, boatload of picks to the Panthers for Christian McCaffrey, which so far looks like a good deal. So expected to be quiet on the 49ers front. The biggest issue is what will the Rams do? Uh, Will Seattle shore up some things, especially defensively? Roquan Smith went yesterday to the Ravens. That was a guy that I could see in Seattle. Cody Barton's just okay. Uh, I like their other inside linebacker. Jordan Brooks, but Seattle could use uh, some veteran help. The rookies have been great for Seattle, but they could use something. So watch Seattle, watch the Rams. Seattle probably defense. Offense for the Rams, as we saw last weekend, they are devoid of offensive talent outside of uh, Cooper Cup. They could use offensive line help. There's been Kareem Hunt discussions, Alvin Kamara discussions, although if you're in the NFC South, I don't know why you trade anybody. Even the Saints at 3-5 and five are in that thing, so we shall see. But uh, it is trade deadline day, and again, at John Lund Radio. If anything good happens, we will get going. All right, it is upon further review. All the things we got to get you caught up on today, and let's start it off. If you're new to the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. We start with a big story today, give you a few other stories, and a one for the road, which has, which has to do with Tom Brady, who acknowledged his divorce. He's got a, a podcast of his own called Let's Go, and he actually did talk about his situation with Jim Gray, so we'll finish up with that because a lot of us, including myself, can relate to what Tom Brady's going through. The question is, is that what is causing the Buccaneers to struggle? But let's start it all off today, November 1st, episode 35 of Unleashed, with today's leadoff, 49ers, upon further review. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Stafford airs it out, Jefferson downfield. He's picked. No, dropped. Unbelievable. A drop by Joukowsky Tart, and he cannot believe it. Joukowsky Tart, this is the desperation throws that we've seen in each of the two games by Matthew Stafford. I don't know if he's injured. But he hasn't had enough arm to really get the ball out. It is 49ers upon further review. Each Tuesday, three things from Sunday or the previous game that were not discussed enough. And this week, it's because they were overshadowed by Christian McCaffrey's day. Disclaimer first I'm sorry for playing that. I should have at least warned you that I was going to play that. But it's number one on my list and wasn't discussed. And I don't know why. Because, And I realize that it's uh, revisionist history as well and won't change, but the 49ers, as you well know, are 8-0 in their last eight regular season games against the Rams. But it means nothing, absolutely nothing, because they lost the NFC Championship game. I was there. It was 17-7 going into the fourth quarter. George Kittle touchdown with 159 left in the third quarter. So about 17 minutes of football, and it was the 49ers who were going to play at that exact stadium uh, SoFi Stadium in L.A. and would have beaten the Cincinnati Bengals and would have won their first Super Bowl since Steve Young got op- got the monkey off his back during the 1994 season. In fact, after that George Kittle touchdown with 159 left in the third quarter, the 49ers with a win probability, and this is why I just don't buy into any win probabilities. I can see. I know how the game's being played. I know what team they're playing. I know where the momentum is. So the computer doesn't know any of those things. But it was at a game-high 81%. From that point forward, as you well know, and I'm sorry for the pain, the 49ers offense ran 11 plays for a total of 24 yards and went punt-punt interception. The Rams ran 26 plays for 188 yards and went touchdown field goal, field goal. In the middle of that, the second field goal, that was when Jaquaski tart dropped that interception. That was more like a punt I don't know how he dropped it. I've, I'm clearly not a professional athlete, but that was one of the easiest interceptions you could ever have. So when people say there's no such thing as pressure, as Billy Bean of the A's couldn't put that into the equation, and the computers have a uh, really can't put it into the equation when it comes to the numbers. Not every atmosphere is the same, and while I am into analytics, there are certain things in analytics. There's gray area of analytics. That you just can't explain. And that's one of them. 9.54 left, 17-14 49ers. If Tart fair catches, I mean, catches that ball, it's 49ers' ball at the Rams' 34 with 9.47 left. Now, maybe the Rams still win. Uh, the momentum was swinging that way in the place. You could just kind of feel it that the momentum was going that way, but that would have stopped it. And if for some reason the 49ers scored a touchdown on that drive, then it's 24.14 with about five minutes left, and I like their chances. As it were, Matthew Stafford hit OBJ on the next play for 14 yards. Jimmy Ward had a roughing call to put the ball in the 49ers 41. Matt Gay would tie the game on that drive. The 49ers went three and out, and the Rams kicked a field goal on their next drive to win the game. So you're asking yourself, hey, idiot, why are you doing this to me? I was having a perfectly good day. I turned on your podcast for some information, some news, maybe a couple of laughs. Why are you replaying this? Because as you watch the game, just like I did, and Christian McCaffrey – it changes a lot of things, and the Rams just aren't the Rams. And we talked to, on my KNBR show on Monday, J.B. Long, who's the voice of the Rams and is actually a Barry, a guy, he's a radio play-by-play voice of the Rams, and I said, is there such a thing as a Super Bowl hangover? Is this, you know, you reach the pinnacle, I would never know, like I said, I'm not athletic, but you reach this pinnacle, you've worked so hard in your career, and it's natural for all of us to go, Whew, man, I made it, and then the next year's not not as good. You go on the you know the eating circuit and the talk show circuit, and you're eating, and everybody's telling you how great you are, and you lose that tiny edge, and that's all it takes in professional sport to lose that much. And I'm putting my fingers very close together that you can't see, but the YouTube channel is coming up as soon as my studio is done. I forgot to mention that, which is just a week or ten days away. But anyway, I digress. The point in playing all, in saying all this is. That game haunts me to this day, and not a lot of people talk about it still, and I guess they just don't want to. But my point in saying all this is how the hell did the Rams beat the 49ers in that game? Because every time you watch, and it doesn't matter who each team has, this started in 2019, and it's eight in a row, the dominance of the 49ers over the Rams, Shanahan over McVay. Do you realize that the Rams against everybody else in the league over that time is 34 and 14, which is a, which is about a 71% win clip. 34 and 14, and against the 49ers, they're 0 and 8 since 2019 in the regular season. And not only do they beat the Rams, they beat them on an average on an average score of 27 to 16. The 49ers take the Rams' soul every time they meet in the regular season, but it haunts me, and probably haunts you as a 49ers fan to this day that they lost that game. And I was in the building; I could feel it in the same amount of Red, that was in the building during the regular season in the finale, which was I I was also uh, covering that game as well. It it just felt the same. The whole thing felt the same. And I thought, you know, the Rams are going to fold. The 49ers are going to win again. And then in a fateful 17 minutes after Kittle scores that touchdown with 159 left in the third and the final 15 minutes, for some reason the 49ers just couldn't be the 49ers. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't do anything. There was that second-and-one stop, Eric Weddle coming through the middle. Kyle Shanahan is usually Sean McVay's kryptonite. So I'll get past this and I'll get over this, but every time I watch the 49ers and the Rams play, it's not even close. And for one game, and you could beat the Rams 20 times in a row in the regular season, it's not going to bring that game back. It doesn't matter. There's not like an equivalent of, you know, 25 regular season games equals a NFC championship game. It's never going to do that. If you have Rams fans that are friends of yours, you can say all you want. We've beaten you 9, 10, 20, 30 times in the regular season in a row. They're just going to NFC championship game, which they got a ring out of. And I just I, – I think back to that game, and I, and I watched the 49ers dominate the Rams, and I just go, what in the what? Because last year, remember, they were 3-5, and five and it was a Monday night, and the 49ers season's, season and fortunes were turned around by the Rams. This season, the 49ers are struggling along. They're 3-4. and four. The Rams are 3-3. Three and three. They're struggling along. You look on paper, and you think, geez, I don't know about this one, man. They're missing a lot of guys. Debo's not going to play. Lots of guys are banged up. Still don't have Armstead. Mosley's out for the year. Ugh. McCaffrey's only in second game. He's only been here 10 days. How much could he know? And they just roll them. It's 14-10 at the half. Second half, 21-0 49ers. 49ers had struggled in the second half of games, and it doesn't matter. The great elixir for the 49ers is the Rams, except for that game. Okay, I'm over it. I just wanted to, be, to just think to myself and to relay to you, I can't believe they lost this team in the NFC Championship game. They roll them. They out them. It's a mental block and a mental issue at this point. You look, Aaron Donald isn't very effective against the 49ers. I mean, go on down the line. It's unbelievable. Anyway, they beat him 31-14. Don't mean to bring you down, but in my upon further review and watching this game again, It is not even a contest every time the 49ers play the Rams in the regular season. Number two in upon further review, the 49ers 31-14 win over the Rams. Brandon Ayuk, six catches, 83 yards, the 34-yarder, and he got overshadowed on that play because Christian McCaffrey threw the touchdown pass, and it's obviously unusual that a halfback would throw or running back would throw a touchdown to a receiver, so people forget that Brandon Ayuk got wide open, caught the 34-yarder, and scored that touchdown. So it's an appreciation, really, upon further review on Brandon Ayuk. He's on pace for 76 catches and almost 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns. Over his last three, his pace is 119 catches, almost 1,400 yards, and 17 touchdowns. And remember when he jumped over an eagle on Sunday night football? Third down and seven. A little flip here to Ayuk, the rookie from inside the 20 and the 10 and look at that! He hurdles his way into the end zone! Touchdown over Marcus X. There is a kid who led the nation last year in yards after the catch and he's doing it again. Touchdown last week. They wrap up a 75 yard six play drive. He is something. This is why they drafted Ayuk. He is just a mini version of Debo Samuel. When you watched him in college, he did this stuff all the time, even in practice. Watch this. That's spectacular. Looks like Skeets Nehemiah going into the end zone. Not even a touch. Can you imagine being on the other side of that thing with Marcus Evans? First of all, a couple of, a couple of things jump out there about that about that Brad and IU play. First of all, he's a rookie. Second of all, as Al Michaels just told you, when he was at Arizona State, he led the nation in yards after catch, which is something that the 49ers do and value. And then he became tough after he got in the doghouse of Kyle Shanahan last year. And by the way, I think I can let the cat out of the bag on this one. He was running certain depths wrong, which was screwing up all the route trees and making Kyle unhappy, and that's why he was in the doghouse. And not enough attention to detail last year, and all of a sudden he is the complete opposite of that. He is blocking his ass off. I mean, this guy has become a complete player. But the one thing, as I'm watching back that video of that play, and that was Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth when Sunday Night Football well, I'm not going to get into that. I did the broadcaster thing the other day, so we'll, we'll do that at some other time or maybe never do it again. That was during the pandemic. I'm looking, and there's nobody in the stands, and I covered those games, and what's crazy, and then I, let me just stick a pin in Brandon Eich and I'll talk about it in a second, but just because I'm watching that video, I knew that we would always go back to that because watching games was just so weird. Covering games was so weird during the pandemic, and there's no fans, and you can hear that the horn goes off and there's fake noise and that whole thing, but there's nobody in the stands, and so I was taken aback. I'm like, oh, yeah, how quickly for, we forget. But those guys just described it perfectly with Brandon Ayuk. It'll be interesting come contract time with him because now you look at the offense of the 49ers and Christian McCaffrey's going to get his and Devo's going to get his and Kittle's got to get his and Elijah Mitchell's got to get his. Everybody's got to eat. And if I'm Brandon Ayuk, I'm looking at this whole thing and I'm going, okay, I'm looking at the draft. This is the 2020 wide receiver draft. Uh, Henry Ruggs, that's a terrible situation with the Raiders. He was taking 12. Jerry Judy hasn't lived up to things in Denver at 15. C.D. Lamb, very solid 17th pick by Dallas. Jalen Rieger was out of TCU. Philly took him. He washed out there. I believe he's in Minnesota. He was taking 21. Uh, Justin Jefferson, speaking of Minnesota, taking a 22. He's the star of the class. Then Brandon Ayuk at 25. T. Higgins at 33. Michael Pittman, 34. Chase Claypool was picked 49th. Here's your steal, Gabe Davis at 128. He actually has the second most touchdowns in this class, after Jefferson's 19. He's got 17. Darnell Mooney is the best wide receiver, best threat for the Bears offense. He was taken at 173. So that's a hell of a wide receiver class. But I was looking at the numbers to this point, and Jefferson is far and away the highest. But all of a sudden, Brandon Ayuk is climbing the ladder in terms of that wide receiver class and if i'm looking at it and i'm looking at it objectively Jefferson's one probably CD Lamb is two and then but, but i think that Ayuk is pushing him and the reason i bring him up why i bring Brandon Ayuk up he has 14 touchdowns in his career starting to get it with Jefferson 19 Davis 17 Ayuk tied with a couple others at 14 i maybe i don't take him second but you start looking at what This guy is starting to do, and he's one of Kyle's favorites. And you heard the guys in the clip say he's a mini Debo Samuel. He's just not given those opportunities. Now, he's not as strong of a runner as what Debo is, but in the jet sweep game, you heard the guys talk about at ASU where he was yards after the catch leader. He could certainly, with a lot of teams, be running a lot more jet sweeps, getting a lot more targets. You know, he'll catch with the 49ers right now, what, about six a game, just under 100 yards, which is a really nice But I wonder what Brandon Ayuk's going to do come contract time where he looks at this whole thing and says, geez, this thing is packed because I think Brandon Ayuk could be a number one receiver on a good football team. I'm not talking about some team desperate for wide receivers like Jacksonville was in this offseason and they gave Christian Kirk all that money. I think Brandon Ayuk is a number one receiver on a good offense. He's starting to show that. We'll see. But I just wanted to give him some love upon further review. Brandon Ayuk catching the ball. He's blocking, he's doing all the right things within Kyle's offense, and I hope he's a long-term member and they prioritize him when contract time comes up because there are other guys ahead of him in the pecking order, but I think he's as important as anybody within this 49ers skill position group. That's number two. And finally, number three, upon further review for the 49ers' 31-14 win over the Rams, with all the love on offense, and it is deserved, the defensive resurgence – was the key to this game. 14-10 to 10 at the half. 49ers shut out the Rams in the second half, 21-zip. Bosa and Warner had sacks. Matthew Stafford was 5-12 of 12 for 37 yards. Cup only had one catch before he left with an injury. And to slow the rush, the Rams ran a slew of screens that ended up not working after a minute. They figured it out. And okay, they're running all screens. And so the defense really stepped it up. Now, can they do that long term? Well, if Eric Armstead comes back after the break, and we'll talk extensively on Wednesday individually what players when they're coming back, all those different things. Because outside of Manuel Mosley and Trey Lance, uh, there's a chance for guys to really start coming back in mass. And so we'll get into that on Wednesday's podcast, episode 36. We'll do that tomorrow. One thing in regards to the defense, I talked to a friend of mine in regards to. Indomitian Sioux. Now, maybe you think Indomitian Sioux is too old. He's 35, 36 years old, but I think he's a guy who could give you 20 to 25 snaps, maybe even more. He's solid. Uh, the last couple of years, he's had six sacks, which for an interior defensive lineman is really good. He was one of the best around, and what I always look for, as you're sitting there saying, well, what's the tie to Indomitian Sue? Well, Chris Kuceric, the fine defensive line coach of the 49ers, coached him early in his career when he was with the Lions, Dominican Sioux when he was so dominant, and while I don't expect that player to appear, I don't know if Ndamukong Sue likes or does not like Chris Kusaric but the connection is there. So when you always look for trade, you think to yourself, okay, what's the connection? There was clearly a connection to get Christian McCaffrey, so what's the connection? Well, it's Chris Kusaric He knows him. Now, maybe he doesn't like him. Maybe Sue doesn't like Kucerik. Maybe Kucerik doesn't like, like him. I don't know, but what my friend told me uh, within the business was an Indominican Sue who's made about $175 million in salary alone in the NFL and then has invested that money very, very well. Doesn't need to work, obviously, another day in his life and is a very wealthy man. So he's not going to just come back to come back. Uh, he had heard that the number at the beginning of the year that Sue was looking for was in the 9 to $10 million range, which I don't think is realistic. But as we approach the midway point of the season, the 49ers have about $5 million in salary cap space, which you're wondering, well, how does that stack up? It's about the middle of the pack as far as the NFL. Salary cap space can always be manipulated. You can uh, adjust contracts. You can get bonuses, all these different kind of things. So it, it's not like the 49ers, if they wanted to, couldn't find space for and Sue. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I do believe that Eric Armstead is going to be back soon after the bye. I'm not sure he's going to be back for the Chargers game from what I hear, but he is progressing, and so they expect him at some point to come back. Javon Kinlaw is a complete question mark for those uh, within the organization. They just don't know what that knee is doing. And so, any to me, any kind of Javon Kinlaw sighting on a football field this year is going to be a bonus. So now you're looking inside of Hassan Ridgway, who's more of a 20-25 to 25 snap guy. You're looking at Kevin Givens, who is solid, but the more Kevin Givens has played, the less effective he's been. Another guy, he's undersized, who probably would be best served in the 25-snap range, something along those lines. And then if Eric Armstead comes back, and when Eric Armstead comes back, you don't want to overtax him. You don't want him playing 60 defensive snaps right out of the gate. So good while I think he's going to come back, I think that you got to be careful with Armstead, and that's where Dominic and Sue comes in because there's another guy who could probably right out of the gate, hopefully give you 25 to 30 snaps, and if you get deep into the playoffs, he could get himself into good enough shape to where he could be playing regular snaps, and now you're back to being a rotation that is normally what the 49ers expect, and to be honest with you, and Sue at 35, 36 is probably a more effective player than Javon Kinlaw is right now at this point in his career. So anyway, bringing up the defense, just thought I'd tell you, Couple of things. The 49ers probably will be silent at the trade deadline, but there are a couple of free agents, n- n- uh, namely Indama and Sue. And Sue is a guy. By the way, the one thing I did forget to mention, my buddy told me he wants to sign with a contender. You know, he's not a ve- he's a veteran guy. Who the early in the season the Raiders had some interest. Well, the Raiders stink. Uh and Sue is a West Coast guy. He's actually originally from Portland, Oregon. So it would be something where he could stay close to his family, play for a contender. Certainly, the Forty Niners. Could be in that mix, something to keep an eye on. So there you go. That is 49ers upon further review. Next, Geno MVP Geno Smith playing MVP ball. He's not going to get it because of Mahomes and 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 Josh Allen. But he's got 13 touchdowns, three interceptions on the season. He's being the guy they need him to be. All right, there is uh, there is Richard Sherman back to his Seattle loving ways. He does live in Seattle. He is helping coach. From time to time, the defensive backs and has been in the building there in Seattle. It is a beautiful uh, building. The I think it's the Virginia Mason. It's right on Lake Washington. It's a beautiful, beautiful setting. I remember years ago, Zach Miller was the tight end for the for the uh, Raiders, and we were talking on our show when Papa used to do the play by play for the Raiders. Uh, Zach Miller, you know, Al Davis says Zach Miller never leave, never leave. He flew over Lake Washington in a in a private plane, you know, one of those small four seaters or something, with his wife over Lake Washington into the facility in uh, near Seattle and just said, are you kidding me? This is awesome. And they gave him the uh, A-plus treatment, and he signed in Seattle. It's a beautiful facility. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So let's look at the NFC West at the bye. Let's look at the NFC West at the bye, and we'll get into the NFC and the AFC. This is the bye for the 49ers, obviously. So this is a convenient time to look at this. Now, I'm gonna look. I'm going to play the schedule game. Because at the beginning of the season, we don't know who's hurt. We don't know who's playing well. We all think we can predict things. And, look, even this is stupid halfway through, but it is a fun exercise to play, so let's do it. Seattle's 5-3, and three, and they've won three in a row. They're at Arizona next. Uh, Seattle's 4-1 and one in their last five at Arizona, so I give them a win. That goes 6-3. and three. Uh, Versus Tampa, I just don't think Tom is going to go out like this, Tom Brady. We'll talk more in One for the Road about Brady. I think they're going to get it together, so Seattle loses that 6-4. Vegas, Josh McDaniels is terrible. Seven and four Seattle. Uh, the, at the Rams, Seattle doesn't win at LA. That's seven and five they lose. Carolina, eight and five. Niners, the 49ers don't win in Seattle. Nine and five, let's be honest. Seattle goes to Kansas City, lose nine and six. Jets win. The Jets, the you know, wheels are starting to fall off. Zach Wilson is terrible. And later on in the week, I did promise you this. Maybe we'll do this Thursday because Friday's a 49ers day. Zach Wilson's terrible. And that whole that whole quarterback class does Not look good, so they're 10 and 6 after a win over the Jets, and they lose to the Rams again, so they're 10 and 7. So, all this talk of 8 and 9, 9 and 8, I think for the 49ers, Rams, and Seahawks, the schedule is a lot easier the rest of the way than we think. So, the 49ers now, 4 and 4 on the season, and here's something interesting the 49ers, four of their next five are at home with a neutral site game in Mexico City. I have no idea how that's going to affect things, but 4 and 4 for the next five at home and a neutral site game in Mexico City. So the Chargers, Justin Herbert, is still not healthy, five and four. That's a win. Arizona and Mexico City, Arizona stinks, six and four. New Orleans, seven and four. Miami, eight and four. That's going to be a tough one, though. I'm throwing a loss in there. It could be Miami, could be Tampa, but I'm going to call a loss at home against Tampa and Brady. I said this before. I just don't think he's going out like this. Nine and four, but maybe it's Miami, but they're going to lose one in there, I think. Uh, at Seattle, they just never win at Seattle. That's nine and five Washington better than you think. They're at, uh, I believe they're four and four right now, but 10 and five. That's a win at the Raiders. They stink. We've established that 11 and five and Cardinals. They're going to sweep in this year. That's 12 and five. So I, and I don't think that's overly optimistic. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the podcast and you're saying to yourself, dude, come on, Lund. They're four and four and they're going to go 12 and five, which would mean that they would go what? Eight and one the rest of the way. Did I just do that? Did I just do an eight and one? Uh, let's see. I have a loss at Se- Tampa and a lot, or excuse me, last loss home, Seattle loss home against Tampa loss at Seattle. I got a back-to-back loss there. So that's two losses. Sorry. That's going to make it 11 and six. So 11 and six still, that means seven and two the rest of the way. Yeah. 11. Yeah. I just did the math. So that means not 12 and five. That means 11 and six, the rest of the way for the 49ers, not rest of the way, 11-6 and six on the season for the 49ers, which would win the division over 10-7 and seven Seattle. But I, I'm not really giving them a lot of benefits of the doubt. I'm saying Chargers win, Arizona in Mexico City win, New Orleans win, Miami win, Tampa home loss, at Seattle loss, Washington win, at Raiders win, and Cardinals at home win. I don't think I'm going down on a limb on any of those. In fact, they could easily win at home against Tampa the way Tampa's playing. Uh, they could easily win at Seattle. It's just that place has been a house of horrors as we are a day after Halloween, so i got to get something like that in. It's the final time I can do that. So I, it, what I'm saying is is I think the schedule really lightens up. It's based on who they're playing. The Chargers are not healthy. They're one of the most banged-up teams in the league. Uh, Arizona, I've got them beating them twice. I just I don't believe in Kyler Murray. I don't believe in what's going on. In fact, I think that Cliff Kingsbury could be fired by the time the 49ers play Arizona. Uh, New Orleans is up and down, but their quarterbacks are Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. I have no trust in that. Uh, I like what Mike McDaniel is doing in Miami. That will be a tougher game than you think uh, because Mike McDaniel knows Kyle. Kyle knows Mike. The Dolphins have talent. There's no question if Tua is healthy, that's going to be a really tough game. That could be an L. But Tampa at home, if they're playing like like this, that could be a W as well. And then at Seattle, I think Seattle's doing some of it with smoke and mirrors, but I got to legitimize these guys. So that could be a win. So I gave them two losses. So I, I really don't think tw- uh, that 11 and 6 is crazy. I don't. I don't think 11 and 6 is crazy. And then the Rams, 3 and 4. They play at the Bucks this weekend. I keep bringing up the Tom thing. That's a toss up to me. I gave the Bucks the benefit of the doubt because they're at home. So that's 3 and 5 for the Rams. Cardinals win 4 and 5. Saints, this is the Rams schedule, 5 and 5. Go to the Chiefs, lose 5 and 6. Seahawks win 6 and 6. They play the Raiders at home seven and six. Packers, I, I don't know. Again, same thing as Brady. Can can this continue for Rodgers? Can they be this bad? Maybe they can, but maybe those receivers start to come around. So I gave the Packers the benefit. Seven and seven. At Broncos, Russ still doesn't cook. Eight and seven. I think that's going to be a problem for them the rest of the year. Win at the at the Chargers, although that's a home game for them too. Nine and seven. And then this at the Seahawks, they win ten and seven. So as crazy as things are, and as bad as the NFC West has been, and everybody's got their attention to the NFC East and seeing what Philly, the Giants and Dallas are doing, I think the second half of the season is going to be dominated by the NFC West. I have it as 49ers 11 and 6 and the Rams and Seahawks at 10 and 7. Call me crazy, call me a homer, but I just went over those games with you and I don't think I in, in an egregious way went, man, I'm going to give all the benefit of the doubt to the NFC West teams. It's just how I see it. And if you look at what's going on on in the NFC, the Packers are 3 and 5, the Bucks are 3 and 5. Rams 3 and 4, 49ers 4 and 4, the final four from last season are 13 and 18. And I still keep waiting for Brady and Rodgers to come around and I because they have the track records they have, I can't believe that they're not going to to come around. Maybe they won't. Now the top is interesting in the NFC. Philly is 7 and 0. They're doing a, a lot of this on turnovers, by the way. They have forced 16 turnovers on the year. And they have two interceptions and no lost fumbles, so they're plus 14. Can that continue? Minnesota is 6-1. and Do you really fear Kirk Cousins? Dallas is 6-2. and That's a legit team. The The 49ers beat them last year in the playoffs. They scored in that opening drive, and then they kind of hung on, and they got the interception from Kwan Williams, and Debo scored late. But Dallas has a good defense. Micah Parsons is a, is a legit NFL Defensive Player of the Year candidate, along with Nick Bosa. I can hear you screaming, Bosa! No. But Micah, Micah Parsons is really good. I don't believe in the 6-2 and two Giants, and we already discussed Seattle. So, at the top of this thing, I guess my question would be, if the playoffs started today, let's play this fun game in the podcast today. It's Unleashed with me, John Lund from KMBR Radio. We're going through the NFC. Uh, Philly would have a bye right now. The 49ers in the 2-7. The 49ers would be the 7. The Vikes would be the 2. In the 3-6, the Giants would be the 3. Or excuse me, the Seahawks would be the 3. The Giants would be the six. In the 4-5, the Cowboys would host the Falcons. So, my, my reason in bringing all that up is, let's say the 49ers beat the Vikings. They would play at Philly in the next round. Do you fear that? Uh, I, maybe it's just because I'm not fully in on Jalen Hurts. I know he can throw. I know he can run. I think he's good at both, great at neither. Uh, defensively, Philly gets a lot of sacks. Defensively, Philly forces a lot of turnovers. If the offensive line is intact at that point and can run the ball, Not turn it over. you got to play a clean game against Philly. I'm not saying they would be favored against Philly. They wouldn't. But my point is, it's kind of like last year. I I, I wouldn't fear going into Philadelphia and playing the Eagles. Uh, After that, you could look at playing either Seattle or Dallas. And I know I'm jumping ahead myself, but this is fun. Uh, It's tough to win in Seattle, no doubt. You won in Dallas last year in the playoffs. Under that scenario, by the way, that I just mentioned, the Bucks, Packers, and Rams would not be in the playoffs, which, again, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around it, that Brady would go out like that. There's been rumblings about Aaron Rodgers, that Aaron Rodgers would go out like that. I just can't see it. But that's the NFC picture. By the way, just for the heck of it, uh, AFC at this point, Buffalo would get the bye. The 2-7 is Titans two, or Chargers at the uh, Titans the first weekend, Miami at Kansas City, and Jets at the Ravens. I won't go deep into that, but the AFC to me, the point of bringing up the uh, AFC, the AFC to me is much more clean cut than what the NFC is. I still think in the second half of the season we'll see if Philadelphia is for real. We'll see if Minnesota is for real. I I just happen to think that they're not because of Kirk Cousins. Maybe they are, and then I can't believe that the Packers, Bucks, and Rams don't have a run in them. Those three teams with those three quarterbacks just have too much talent not to make a run. Maybe they don't. Maybe Rodgers is old. Maybe Brady and we'll get into this in a minute. The divorce is taking its toll. We all know about that. Maybe the Rams have a Super Bowl hangover, but I still think that those teams have a run in them, just like I think the 49ers have a run in them. There's a quick look at where we are at the break, at the bye week with the 49ers, both in the NFC West and in the NFC. It's time for One for the Road. There's a lot of professionals in life that go through things that they deal with at work and they deal with at home. And obviously the good news is things, it's a very amicable situation. And I'm really focused on two things and taking care of my family and certainly my children. And secondly, doing the best job I can to win football games. So that's what professionals do. You focus at work when it's time to work. And then when you come home, you focus on the priorities that are at home and all you can do is the best you could do. And that's what I'll just continue to do as long as I'm working and as long as I'm being a dad. First, before I get into the discussion of the divorce with Tom Brady and Giselle, and that's sad. Nobody likes that. It doesn't matter how much money you have. I've been through a divorce. Maybe you've been through a divorce. It's They're not easy and it takes a toll on you mentally and what you're doing. So you know, we'll get into in just a second how that's affecting him from a football standpoint but isn't it amazing the access we now have to these athletes, athletes, entertainers, anybody who's famous? Uh, he's got his own podcast that comes from it. It's called Let's Go. He does it with Jim Gray every Monday during the regular season, during the uh, the NFL season, regular season, and Larry Fitzgerald jumps in there as well. But you know, Tom Brady decides, you know what? I I, I got to get ahead of this because, and they both released statements this past week, and she released one first, and he had to release one, and. But just the access that we have, and then he's got a podcast, and he's got to address it. There's no way that Jim Gray and Tom Brady can sit there. And they did most of the podcast before they addressed this. They kind of addressed it at the end, and then they got back to football a little bit. And then they closed out the podcast, about a 30-minute podcast. But the fact that we have access directly, not from some somebody, but from Tom Brady himself saying, this is what's going on in my life, and it's difficult, and a lot of people go through it. So anyway, it, it, that part fascinates me. But the second part of it is, if you've been through a divorce, and I've been through a divorce, and I did it in the midst of doing a radio show, and I found that my radio show was my only solitude. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you and pull back the curtain. I would cry during breaks. Uh, I would walk around the studio. I would leave. I would, you know, because you're getting texts from, you know, lawyers. You're getting, you know, it's just everything. You're kid. I've got a son. You're at the time he was 10 years old. You're just it. It, it consumes you 24/7, 365 for a period. Then you start coming out of it. And I don't know exactly where Tom Brady is in this process. Uh, we've heard that, they're, that they've, that it's amicable. They, you always try to say that publicly, but it's never amicable. It's just not. If, if it was amicable, you'd be together. You're not, it's not amicable because you have irreconcilable differences, irreconcilable differences. In other words, you can't stand being around each other. You can't make it work. So you could say publicly how much, how great it is and how you're going to be great parents and how, it's a pain in the ass. And there are. Times where you hate each other, there are times when it consumes you, Your are times when you have good days. It's like anything in any part of life, but I find it impossible to believe that it's not affecting what Tom Brady's doing on the field. Now, age is catching up with him to a point because the Buccaneers' offensive line is not very good, and when he has to move, he moves like a 45-year-old. Now, maybe not a typical 45-year-old, but I've seen Tom Brady try to move out of the pocket right, left. I've seen him try to think to himself, hey, I maybe I can run. And by the time he gets the thing generated, there's five defensive linemen (laughs) tackling him. It's just, when he's got a clean pocket, Tom Brady's still Tom Brady. When he doesn't, he's not. But how much this is affecting him, all this stuff off the field, it has to be. And I'm no expert when it comes to, you know, being an athlete. But I am when it comes to issues in your life off the field, off the the mic, and how it affects you. And I don't know if I did better shows. I kind of thought that I did. Because I was so focused, and it was so relieving to be in the studio. I had I was doing a four-hour show like I do now on KNBR, and it was so relieving to go in there for four hours every day and just not have it consume you. Because you didn't have a choice; you had to entertain people. They a lot of times people don't care. It's like, look, I'm going through stuff too. You're in my radio, go, because I need you to make me feel better. And that's you know, I people didn't want my issues coming onto the radio. So I knew that it was a big responsibility of mine to make people feel better and to do my job. And I was as focused as I had ever been now with Tom Brady. I don't know how he can compartmentalize it. It seems to me as a professional athlete, he does it quite well, but you can't tell me that it hasn't affected him. It did during training camp when he had to leave and he said, I'm 45 and there's there's a lot of S going on that those things. It just has to, and it's the relationship itself, but it's more the more your kids, how much are you going to see him when she, Uh, finds another guy, how's he going to treat him? Like, it consumes your thoughts. And Tom Brady is kind of like a machine. He sleeps, he eats, he has a routine, he does it that way. Well, this takes you out of your routine. Sometimes you can't eat. Sometimes you're not feeling good. So, look, maybe it's affecting him none none whatsoever, and it's just because he's 45 and the offensive line stinks, and they're just not playing well. But it seems to me that it's too much of a coincidence for this to be going on in his off-field life and him struggling with his on-field life. And that is one for the road. And that is Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund from CanBR Radio in San Francisco, episode 35 for Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. Thanks for making Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk your first stop for Barrier Sports Talk each morning. Listen and subscribe or get your favorite podcast. My day job, KNBR Radio in San Francisco, knbr.com, KNBR 680 from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa. And please interact any old time at John Lund Radio. Episode 35, Unleashed, Barry, sports talk with me, John Lund, only on the Locked On Podcast Network.